I was preparing for hunting season and I had been bullied before when I posted a picture of a deer that I, I had gotten during hunting season. And, um, that person said, do you feel like a man now? Hey everyone, this is Rick Liu and welcome back to the seed the startup journey, a podcast series where I interview entrepreneurs to discover stories of their startup journey and gather advice all condensed into short episodes that are less than 20 minutes. Today, I'll be interviewing the co-founder and CEO of Go Wild, Brad Lutro. Brad is an amazing storyteller with experience in editorial and advertising. He is also an outdoor enthusiast who is building a social commerce platform, Go Wild, and is now changing how people share their outdoor journey and shop for outdoor gear. Hey Brad, I'm going to read off some of the titles I found about you online and you can go from there to tell us a little bit about yourself. (laughs) So uh, Brad, you are a tech founder, photographer, hunter, storyteller, father, and back-to-back company chili cook-off champion. Can you tell us a little (laughs) bit about those titles? Uh, yeah, man, that's, um, that's encompassing from the last few years, last few different jobs. Um, I am still bitter about losing my third chili title. I think, uh, my team (laughs) conspired against me to keep me from winning. Um, but yeah, all that fits the bill. I'm not necessarily as much of, I think you said photographer and I don't necessarily consider myself a photographer anymore. I did that, um, for journalism for, I was a photojournalist for a couple of years. I did wedding photography. I had a wedding photo agency that I shut down. Um, that was my first business. I really got off the ground. And, um, I, I moved into the advertising side after that, but yeah, you, uh, you definitely dug up a couple of different roles there. There's probably more that we could assign to it, but <laughs> can you tell me a little bit about your company right now? Go wild. Yes, sir. So we, we started a social media platform in a basement four years ago and, and it was just me and three of the guys and some pizza and my dog. And we, we had an idea and we, we really bootstrap built the first thing. And then we built it into social media for the outdoors and it's not. Facebook for hunters or anglers. I don't like that description because we have an actual unique experience for a product. It's more, it's more like a Reddit, first of all, but we have a wide variety of features that are different for an outdoorsman's life. So, you know, you can log time, which is not a concept you can do on Facebook. You can say that I spent six hours hiking today and share that part of your story. You can share outdoor podcast. You can uh, log your trophies. So your best fish, if you got, you know, a bass that you want to share with, with the audience, um, you, you have the ability to shop for outdoor gear and you have the ability to tag outdoor gear on your content, which is really unique, not only to an outdoor social media startup, there's not another social media platform to my knowledge in the United States that you're able to have conversations around gear like this. Um, and we can literally tag products to post. You can leave reviews and have discussion on there, which is not necessarily unique to us, but in the sense that this is contextual commerce and that people can have conversations around products before they buy it is much different than like an Amazon where, you know, I see Rick left a comment on a product, but I don't know you. I can't figure out anything else about you because I, we don't have a profile or the ability to dialogue within our platform. You can tap into Rick's profile. I can see that Rick knows what he's talking about when it comes to fly fishing and I'm going to trust him and I'm going to buy that product because I, I, I see that an expert like Rick bought it. Right. So, so it's a very different experience on the commerce side. And how did you actually come up with the original idea for go wild? And is that idea different from what it looks like now? Yeah. So the, the original idea was inspired by Facebook because the, uh, the, I was, I was preparing for hunting season and I had been bullied before when I posted a picture of a deer that I, I had, 
gotten during hunting season. And, um, that person said, do you feel like a man now? And that, that like really resonated with me in a, in a bad way. Like I felt bad about that because hunting is so misunderstood and, you know, most people don't understand that hunters actually pay for our wildlife biologists who that our funding goes into the States and we employ the conservation officers who patrol our wildlife and monitor them and take care of them. We're, we are, our dollars pay the stewards of our, our wild lands. And a lot of people don't understand that. And they don't understand the good that hunting does. And I was, I thought to myself, like, man, what, what a shame that like, I can't even talk about something I love so much on like with my friends and share it with people who get it. And I also, that it was that idea. So like Facebook, not serving me well, but it was also the fact that I was trying to get better at deer hunting, which is very hard. People think of like fat guy with beer cans sitting in a tree. It is not that it's not that at all. These animals are very perceptive. They're, um, you know, to, to chase a mature whitetail is a very difficult task, not to mention the weather, right? Like it can be, I've hunted in like single digit temperatures and there's not too many people that would submit themselves to that. So I was trying to get better at it though. And I could not find a digital platform that would put me in touch with people who knew who were experts. All the forums were out of date. I'm talking to people who are in Texas and I'm in Kentucky, two totally different climates. Like it, they're, they're not right. relevant. So our platform set out to really connect people regionally to be able to, to talk to other people around the topics and the region that they're interested in. And to kind of follow up about the connecting aspect of your, of your app, um, as a social commerce platform, I'd imagine having many users is probably super important, right? So how do you go about getting users on Go Wild, especially in the very beginning? Yeah. What's, um, what's interesting is when we started building this, investors turned us down left and right in the early days because they said, you're going to need millions and millions of people to be able to make this business work. Mm -hmm. And that is true if you're only operating on a revenue mo or an advertising model like Facebook, right? So our model is is very different in that we, we do sell advertising and we, we obviously monetize that way, but it's it's a matter of getting the right gear in front of people. So helping people make purchases. Mm -hmm. And this audience spends a lot. So we don't necessarily need you know, the, the tens of millions of people that it might take to hit a tipping point to where we can start monetizing. We can actually monetize with 50,000 people to your question of like, okay, how do you still growth is important. I, I give that little, um, anecdote to say that we don't need as much scale, but we still need growth, right? Growth is everything when you're in a startup phase. Um, we've grown organically, you know, a quarter of our growth has been organic. We have put more effort into building a product. That's not a leaky bucket. I don't want to pour millions of dollars in, in advertising into a product that doesn't retain our members, you know, for where we've been though. And from the beginning, it's kind of funny, man, we've advertised on social media and telling people like, Hey, doesn't this place kind of suck for people like us? Like, can't, what if there was a better way? Like we, we literally have ads that say that, and those have performed very well. And the messaging has resonated really well with this audience so much so that in our surveys, when we ask them like, what is go out or what do you like about go out? They almost regurgitate back our own ad scripts of like, wow, it's so great, great to be in a place of like-minded people. Like, you know, you can tell that that's what first resonated with them and that's still what they like about it today. That's awesome. And you seem to be doing uh, many different things at once. Like besides being the CEO, you're also the host of Restless Native Podcast, as well as Gearbox Talk on YouTube. So how do you keep a balance between all your different roles? I saw this question and really the, of everything you had in there, I was like, this is, that's a more interesting question I, I, than I often get. And a lot of people aren't necessarily in the startup mindset enough to think through that because I, as a CEO of a large company, there are a lot of responsibilities that I don't even have to worry about yet, right? Like the, in my opinion, in the early phase of the 
company, there really there's two things that are most important. Uh, it, it is the vision for the product and it is the storytelling of the platform. And those two podcasts allow us to tell our story in a way that um, it's, it's not in your face. It's not, you know, hey, this is an advertisement for Go Loud. We never wanted those to be about that. However, over time, my, my hardcore listeners through Restless Native, the people that are finding us through Gearbox Talk, they're going to download the platform because of a relationship with me, because of a relationship with my guests, uh, because they, they find out that we have so much gear functionality. It's actually a huge part of our content strategy. Um, in terms of how do you find time, like I have no idea. I don't, like, I don't, I don't <laughs> think my brain operates in like the normal constructs of, of time. And I think most startup founders operate that way too. Like you don't, can't make more time, but you can always shave out something else that's not important. Like I've, I don't have cable anymore. My, me and my wife watch like maybe 30 minutes of Netflix a night, <laughs> maybe, maybe less than an hour for sure. And so it's been more than four years since the founding of your company. What was the most challenging moment for you so far in running your own business? Man, it's probably been 2020 with COVID-19. I was raising a funding round and so we raised for six, well, technically like nine months before COVID. It was supposed to wrap up on that ninth month. And um, I had a funding round fall apart uh, right before me, like yeah. literally because of lockdown and the stock market crash. And I, like we lost um, hundreds of thousands of dollars in verbal commitments. All of this fell apart in our face and mm -hmm. it was scary. And it's like, oh my God, the world is falling apart. Um, we need this money for runway. You know, we're an, an unprofitable startup that needs the money to be able to prove that our idea works. So it was much easier pre-March 2020 and then post-March 2020, we had to fight for every dollar we raised. Now we ended up raising like $800,000 in the pandemic and we closed our round strong, um, but it was not a slam dunk in the beginning. Like March and, March and April were, were scary times for a lot of reasons. And kind of on the flip side, what would you say has been the best or most satisfying moment? From the... Con the consumer side, just launching the platform and seeing people interacting on something that you conceived and your team built, you know, imagine your platform providing value in somebody's life. Like they learned how to shoot a bow or they learned how to start fly fishing and, and you start to follow these stories and ev they evolve. And then people are thanking, like, thank you, Mike, for helping me learn to do this thing. And those two people met on something that you created. That's been one of the coolest things in my life is to connect people who've never met in person, but they still got value. And, and that, um, you know, people sometimes say like, oh, you're, you know, people need to put down their phones and get outside. You guys are trying to keep people on their phones. It's like, no, man, I'm trying to get people to learn skills, to get outside, to learn something new and to get in touch with nature, because these things are the worst, dude. Like I, I've, I've continued to delete apps off of my phone because they're all engineered to keep you sucked to them to, you know, sell you more advertising. And Hey, I sell you advertising too. I get it. But I hope that in turn, I give you something of value. You know, I, LinkedIn gives me value. I spend a lot of time on LinkedIn because I, I build valuable connections there. Likewise, I just deleted my Snapchat, my Twitter app, my Instagram app. I deleted Facebook two years ago. They didn't provide value, right? I wasn't getting anything back at, for that. I really think like seeing the value that people get back out of our platform has been one of the most meaningful things to me. From the, the business side, um, the, we got into an accelerator last year. And at the time, getting into that accelerator and beating out more than like two or 300 companies across the world. And, you know, they had a literally only five companies get in and we went and pitched. And there, was, there was a pitch day. You go and pitch like 300 people and they vote on who that gets in. And then the accelerator picks. And uh, when we got the call, 
that we got in, like that was one of the coolest moments throughout the whole company's history from the, the fundraising side or like the business side, because it was like a stamp of approval. Like you guys are legit. You're doing something that has meaning. And it, it, since then, you know, the trajectory of the company's totally changed. For sure. And what would you say has been your greatest fear along your startup journey? Failing, man. Like uh, I, nobody <laughs> wants to be the guy that raised three and a half million dollars and then blew it all. That's the selfish side for me. The other side is like letting down our team if we fail. You know, there's people that have come on board and quite frankly, there's people that have taken pay cuts and I mean hefty pay cuts, uh, you know, walked away from $30,000, $40,000 salaries, like that much more in salary to come work for us because they believed in us. And I want to be able to provide for them, you know, that this worked. Like they took a gamble on us and it paid off. And the the thing that keeps you awake at night is not like, it's not like, what if I fail? I worry about like letting everybody else down and, and that, you know, I blew their money or they put their faith in me and I couldn't deliver. And to follow up on that, like, how do you cope with that fear of letting people down? I don't think about it. <laughs> so I, I just don't, I, uh, I don't, I, I, I sometimes I've had some moments of very high anxiety. I've had moments where like right before I quit my job in 2018, my full-time job, my wife was very pregnant and I uh, about to have our second kid. And, um, I was getting ready to go to a trade show on my weekend, uh, outside of my day job. And I was like, what are you doing? This whole thing is insane. You're taking a lot of money from somebody. You don't know if this is going to work. Like those thoughts will creep in. And mm-hmm. over time, I think I've learned to not like, it's almost like those thoughts are always there. And I just try to stay ahead of them. I just stay f- really positive and, um, stay moving forward. You know, I'm listening, I, I, I'm reading the book, um, the CEO of Disney Iger, and he talks about mm-hmm. no one wants to follow a pessimist. You know, if you're not, if you're not optimistic about the outlook of the company, you're going to be a really terrible leader. Right. So I, I, that resonated with me. I don't think about the what ifs as much of the bad side. It's the upside that we could create if we're successful. Gotcha. And so do you have any advice for someone like me who is still a student, uh, but I'm interested in entrepreneurship and wants to potentially start something of my own in the future? Yeah, I do. I, I thought that was a really good question. And I have met a ton of people who came up through a more traditional, you know, they, they got a more traditional business degree. They have skills I don't. And I wish I had taken some of the skills you're, or classes you're probably taking now. Like you're probably learning things that I would guess I know, like I didn't know how to build a PNL. I have a journalism degree, dude. Like mm-hmm. I, they yeah. don't teach spreadsheets in journalism. Okay. Um, the, the thing though, that I have self-recognized and I have had investors tell me and clients tell me, and I think it's core to our brand. If you pay attention to go out at all, we're really good storytellers and if you're going to get people on to whatever idea you have and whatever you're trying to build, you better figure out how to tell a good story. And the so much of raising money, of getting people into your product or your service or your platform, whatever you're building, it's going to be convincing them to do it. And so for any student in school, take some branding classes, understand, read branding books, whatever it is, like read, understand good branding understand um, good products and and take a journalism 101 course take something that's going to teach you the essence of storytelling because i'm telling you man like i've met so many brilliant founders who aren't hacking it on the funding side and it's not that they're they don't have a more brilliant product than us even it's, it's they don't know how to tell the story a lot of people struggle with storytelling and i think 
you know, take some electives that are going to help pull that out of you and add that, that extra, you know, arrow in your quiver. I'm glad I asked that question because I'm just about to register for my next semester classes soon. So before we end, I'll just prepare some rapid fire questions. All right, let's do it. So the first one is if you could have a superpower, what would it be? Oh man, it's, it's not like I, I immediately, I was like, I want more time. So if I, if I, <laughs> maybe if I can't slow time down, I wish I could work faster. That'd be my superpower. I'd be able to email at like light speed and to be able to think five times faster than I can right now. And what time do you usually wake up every morning? Um, lately it's been like five to five thirty. And what is something you cannot live without? Coffee, running, and my family. And if you could choose anyone to have dinner with, who would you choose? Dude, I am royally obsessed with Alexander Hamilton right now. And <laughs> I, my wife convinced me to watch the musical. I am the, I'm from Southeastern Kentucky, man. Like grew up really redneck. Okay. Um, not a musical guy by trade. I loved the musical. I think Alexander Hamilton is one of the most inspirational people I've ever learned about. And if I dead or alive, like no questions, that'd be the guy. Second on that, if it had to be alive, uh, just off the cuff, it's probably Ed Catmull, who's the founder of Pixar. And this is the last question, which is, what is the best advice you've ever received? This is not the best answer for this, but it's an answer that's relevant to your audience. I was in school and I was trying to figure out how to price services. I'm learning. I was learning to be a photographer. So let's say you're learning to do marketing, whatever it is. You're, you got somebody that asks you to do a project for them. And when you're young, you always tend to... Um, you almost want to give stuff away to get the experience, right? And I asked um, my mentor, David LaBelle, who's award-winning photojournalist, one of the most highly regarded photographers in the country and a great human, like great guy. I said, Dave, I got my first commercial gig. I'm going to go photograph this cancer center's um, event and it's for two hours. I don't know what to charge. And he, he looked at me in straight face and said, as much as you can say without laughing. And I think overall, um, startups do this people do this we undervalue ourselves and and we we do work for free to get experience but that now the problem is you've done something for free and you establish that the value was nothing and so my my greatest advice for anybody no matter what you're doing is let people know what the value was and if you end up giving it to them in a trade or something like that like that's fine but don't ever just tell them it's free because mm -hmm. then um it's on you the next time when they come knocking at the door and want you to do it again for free. And you're like, well, you know, I can't keep doing this for free. Well, that's your fault because you never established the value in the first place. Right. And, um, you know, Dave's advice was to say as much as you can without laughing, which sets a price high and it values yourself well. You know, um, I have lived by that and we still sell. Like sometimes if I get a client on our, our platform that I don't want to deal with, it's like, well, let's price it to where it'd be worth it. And you say as much as you can say without laughing, right? Like that is actually... Okay, more, the more I think about it for like the phase of your audience and probably where they are, like that is probably the best advice I can give is don't undervalue yourself and make sure that people know that you see worth in what you're doing. Because if you don't, you know, how are they ever going to? I love that. That's it for today's interview. Thank you, Brad, for taking the time to do this. And I wish you and go out the best of luck. Thanks, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Here are my three takeaways from chatting with Brad. The first thing is an observation about Brad, which is the amount of focus he has and the willingness to cut things that don't bring him value from his life. Brad got rid of cable TV, deleted apps like Snapchat or Facebook in order to free himself some time to focus on what he loves. The second thing I learned is the importance of storytelling. So much of selling your product, fundraising, or even convincing others to join your team is about being able to tell a good story. 
Brett recommends students interested in entrepreneurship to take a marketing, branding, or journalism course and learn the essence of storytelling. The final thing is, don't undervalue yourself. Especially for students or for people just starting out, we tend to do things for free in order to get the experience. But the problem with doing things for free is that you value yourself at nothing. When someone asks you the price for your work, the greatest advice Brett has received was to say as much as you can without laughing. With that, I'll see you soon.